Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as always, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and the fantastic Greg Kirish. Hey guys, how are you doing this morning? Great. Great. We got our schedules cleared. We had a lot going on, but we're making this time for you, Dave. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And so do our listeners. So do our listeners. And thanks for that introduction. Thanks for that great introduction, Dave. Well, I, the reason I say fantastic is because uh, you uh, pinch hit for us a little bit on Seat Yourself and been a great reaction to that so far. So any of our listeners who have not heard Greg on Seat Yourself, you might want to check that podcast out as well. But want to get into it here on every hour of the Thursday. For those of you who don't know, all of us have been talking about COVID-19, and it is the topic of, uh, of conversation these days. It seems like the world gets dramatically different each time we get back together, guys. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Hopefully it's changing for the better now. It sounds like they got their hands around us a little bit, so that's that's good news. Yeah, there's really no question that the this virus has upset the lives of everybody across the world. And one of the things you see on our other podcast too is we're on Seat Yourself. We're bringing voices from around the world. And uh, this past week we had David Otto from the Netherlands and Tavari, and he gave us the lay of the land, what's going on in the Netherlands. And this coming week we'll we'll stay in Europe again with another uh, another voice of somebody on the front lines. And that series has done done well, and, and again, I'd invite our listeners of every other Thursday to check that out. But it's really, the, the, there's been all kinds of impact on this thing, and certainly the human impact is the one that you hear the most about. But there's also the, Im- the economic impact, especially in the world of travel and tourism and hospitality and food service. And so... I thought today in our discussion, we'd focus on some of that continuing impact of, and then eventually finish up with what the world looks like when we come out the other side. So I want to get some general business out of the way. And for you new listeners, every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so podcast where we showcase all kinds of things about the world of hospitality, tabletop and, and so forth and, and the world of hospitality in general and, and whatever. But lately, obviously, we've been focusing on the COVID-19 coronavirus situation. This week's episode, like every other episode of every other Thursday, is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. So guys, what are the major differences that have been going on in our industry since we last had our episode, our last episode two weeks ago? Not much wear and tear on our cars. <laughs> That's the upside of that. Yeah, you're saving money on gas, Jay. I need less tires. Yeah, gas is, uh, by the way, gas in Maryland is uh, under $2, like $1.79 a gallon last time I looked. Really? Yeah, it's still higher here because we have more taxes, I think, than you guys. But By the way, nobody's buying any because they're not going anywhere. Well, that's the point or a point. You know, all these costs are coming down, but how are you going to utilize these inputs? You know, dairy farmers are, are dumping milk, you know, down the drain. And I have, a, I have a friend that's an executive at Dairy Farmers of America, and they just bought Dean Foods. And that was in the process for a long time. And they're they're just having challenges because if I if I remember correctly, thirty percent 
of their product goes into food service. And so, you know, what do you do with all this milk? And, you know, so at the, at the, at the end of this, when, and not if, but when eventually food service revives, what's going to happen to the supply chain? Where's this milk all going to be coming from if these guys can't survive? Well, that's an interesting point, too, because, well, obviously a lot of the food service business is closed. People are still doing takeaway and pickup and all that. And so they are using supplies. And I wonder, obviously, it's not enough to keep the businesses afloat. But if I'm a supplier to restaurants now of of milk or any other type of product, food product, probably, even paper goods, I suppose, or packaging, do I continue to supply them? Because I'm probably not going to get paid real soon if I get paid at all. So what do you think about that? Well, I think, I think one of the things, too, that, that any food producer could do, I mean, is, you know, there's always a massive effort to, for people to say, you know, we're running soup kitchens and we're feeding the poor and we're doing all of this. I would think that anybody in the food industry should really be looking at that because if you can't produce it, you're going to throw it away, please. I mean, you, you're trying to tell me there's nobody going hungry in America. I don't think so. I think there's still a lot of that. Maybe it's in, in really bad situations it's getting worse. So I think the food industry should really take a look at that. And I don't know what the tax ramifications are. Maybe if they're donating it and all of that, they can take a tax write-off to help improve their, their financial condition. But right now in this in this whole situation, nobody should nobody should ever be going hungry for a meal, especially young children. So how can you move some of that stuff that you literally, it's either going to go bad or you're going to throw it away in, into being consumed by people that could certainly use the help. I don't know. Just a thought. But here's the thing, though, Jay, who pays for all that? Well, we're all going to pay for all of it. I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, same thing. I mean, trucks are going to deliver it and all of that kind of stuff. So maybe the same train of thought goes back to gases down. So diesel fuels down. So, you know, I think along and short, I don't think this thing's going to go forever. I think maybe we've got another couple of months, three months before they start to ramp it up. But it's going to be ramped up slowly. But I don't know. I, I mean, I think you, you got to try. You got to try. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to me the consumer either pays now somehow or pays later. If we don't do something to protect these dairy farmers, I don't know when, but next year or whatever in the future, and there are no dairy farmers or a lot less dairy farmers, then think about what the price of uh, dairy products is going to be. Maybe this is a time, you know, I and mean, this is maybe a little bit off the off the, the conversation, but we have very, very wealthy people in this country. We've got people that are worth billions and millions of dollars, and, you know, I mean, they all do philanthropic stuff, but maybe it's a time today where what happens if a Warren Buffett or a, or a Gates and a guy said, hey, look, we're getting into getting that food distributed and stuff, we're going to put a bunch of money in the bank, and here, here's how we'll distribute it. You, you tell us what your gas costs are. And, you know, all of that. I mean, I don't know. I think there's ways people can come together and do that. One of the things that scares me is all of this money that's there that is being delayed so badly to get down to the people who need it the most. It's a little scary. But I mean, when it comes to feeding kids and people that are really in bad shape, we got, we got to think about that a little bit. So maybe all of these rich people can say, hey, you know, what? Maybe, maybe they form their own commission and say, where can we spend some of our money? where it's going to do the most good. You know, because last time I checked, when we're all going into the into the ground. There's no trailers behind the hearse. Can't take it with you. Yeah, I, I think that when you come back to uh, the takeaway and, and supporting local restaurants and stuff, I love that that emotional feeling to do that and the, the desire to support local restaurants and stuff. However, depending upon where you are in the country, a lot of people – are all of a sudden finding themselves without a paycheck coming in. And yes, I understand that uh, there's some government relief programs, but Jay, as you just alluded to, I think it's difficult, uh, cumbersome bureaucracies or whatever hold that money up. 
I haven't found anybody yet who's actually received a payment of government. Now, there are some, obviously. I think the banks have probably gotten the money, but I think the banks are overwhelmed. And we just, before we went on air, I mentioned a, an article yesterday in Eater that talked about restaurant relief funds. They're so overwhelmed with people applying that they've stopped taking new, uh, new applications. And I think that's also true of our commercial lenders. I, I think it's just, well, I, you know, it, it's a mess. And I don't think the money's getting where people want it to get to fast enough. And, and if you could just wave a magic wand and make it happen, it would have already been done. Yeah, I think the government needs to, and you know, I hate to throw this at the government because we all, less government, when things are relatively normal, it's better than more. But I think all the great efforts that they put together, talking about the medications, working on a virus, putting m- more beds, more of the breeding stuff and all of this good stuff going on, they need to take and put that same energy into getting this money into the hands of the people that need it because people can die in a lot of different ways. It's not always you're dying because you died on your bed because you couldn't breathe. I mean, people, you know, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous time. I mean, their careers are going to die. Their businesses are going to die. Then you're going to have more homeless people, more hungry people. What the heck's going to happen? You know, you don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but that could happen. I mean, you know, they, the, now with the, the effort has to be, how do we get this thing? How do we clear these lanes so these people can get this money? It's that simple. I have a, a very good friend that has a company that grinds hamburger. That's his whole, his, just about his entire business is grinding hamburger and mostly for food service. And luckily, a lot of his customers are doing relatively well with the takeout, with the hamburger. And so his business is, is taking a hit but not as bad as many. So he's busy applying for aid or loans or whatever the term, uh, proper term is. And he says his bank, he, he, he feels is genuinely trying to help, but they are all confused because they don't know what about the regulations right, right. and how to fill out the forms. And, and they're just like, they're like, we, we, you know, we're, we're trying to help. We don't know where we are right now. And so that's slowing the process down. That's a little disappointing because we've been through this relief stuff before and the same darn thing seemed to have happened back way back when. And so guys, I mean, it's, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta analyze the, the process from start to finish. This logistic problem just seems to be something that's more than it ought to be. I mean, I understand the overwhelming request, but yeah, I think, I, I, and I also don't think that traditional lenders are the most nimble of organizations. They're they're kind of stuck in their own bureaucracies. And I would say, on a positive note, in the U.S., for all its flaws, and everybody wants to to lob uh, hand grenades in it at uh, the U.S. government all the time, and and we all do it from time to time. But it's much better position than Europe is, and where you have multiple governments and trying to coalesce them and they all have different views. And so I, I think that it's not easy to marshal 50 states all in the same direction. It might be like herding 50 cats, I suppose. It seems to me that in, in this time, when you think of the magnitude of what's going on, I think Washington has removed a lot of obstacles. And are they perfect? No, this time around, but they've given the sort of the authority, if you will, to the state, which I think is a good thing personally. And it seems to be working out better than what I have seen in the in the media on the European end. The Europeans seem to be stuck on, they can't make a decision. Yeah, it's just got to get better. I mean, I agree with everything you just said, but you know, it's you don't want to be the 
the, the best of the worst, I guess is one way to put it. We, as long as you're doing all you can possibly do and it, you know it's going to move slow, that's okay. Let's talk about our industry for a minute. Let's talk about some of the, the human side of what's going on. Uh, I've had, uh, I fielded multiple phone calls in the past week or so with uh, from different people in, in a variety of organizations, both big and small for our industry. And most have been, I'm not sure I understand completely the difference between furloughing people and terminating them, but I understand that there is a, a difference and it's probably a, uh, an unemployment insurance issue. But what are you guys thinking about the human side of this? Are those are those employees that have been either furloughed or terminated, are they going to be brought back? I think the answer is many of them won't be because there won't be a business to bring them back to. I mean, I've been seeing like California is predicting 30%, if I, if I got the number correct, 30% of restaurants aren't going to reopen. And so there's no business for these folks to come back to. I guess it's as simple, as, at least immediately, I think it's as simple as that. I agree with Greg. One of the things that was curious to me is they were, at, now there's a, actually a, a conversation taking place on the news where they're talking about there could be pressure on not being able to hire enough people. Why, why would there be a shortage of workers? Well, a lot of these uh, governmental programs are tied to rehiring of workers and retaining of workers. So again, I think that's an example of a good hook. Now it's only two, I, I think the initial small business one, the care program is only two and a half right. months. So that's not a long time, but at least in order to qualify for that, I think you, you're in some way obligated to bring back your team, whatever that might be, one or two people or 200 people, and your payroll is going to be covered. Yeah, I guess like I guess none of us really know how what, how that's going to turn out. I I agree with Greg. I mean, I think the, the, I mean the landscape's going to be dramatically different at, at every level. You know, the only businesses that I think are doing fairly well. I mean, given the circumstances, are all the online companies. They seem to be doing pretty well, relatively. I was talking to someone the other day who's, who's getting, still getting orders from Amazon and you know, Frontgate and all of these other places. And Sandy, my wife was getting ready to buy a computer online, so you know, there's still some business going on, but. Going to, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think I think that in our food service business, it's going to be a, there's going to be massive changes. I think it's going to change the distribution models. I think e-commerce is going to get on our side. The e-commerce lane of food service supply people, it's going to be it's going to be the way of the new world. I think. From my vantage, the big question is is that when this crisis moves forward to to culmination, will the economy then burst like a you know, like a you know pent up dam? Or will it be a slow growth? And that's going to make a huge difference in the rehiring, obviously. Yeah, I, I want to come back. I want to take a break here for a minute and come back. And when we come back, I want to talk about just that, Greg. I want to talk about when do we come out the other side? Everybody talks about, I want to get to the other side of all this. Okay, that's great. But when, do we, when does that actually happen? And when we get there, what does life look like in the hospitality and food service business? So we'll be right back. We're going to take a break and right back with more of Every Other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. 
Hey, everybody, we're back every other Thursday with Greg Kirish and Jay Alley, and I'm Dave Turner, your host here at Every Other Thursday. And when we left off, we were talking about coming through this and coming out the other side. I hear that term a lot, and I want to know what you guys think is a timeline of when we might possibly start to come to this other side. And then I want to talk a little bit about what the other side is going to look like, especially in the hospitality and food service business. So, Greg, when do you think we'll be starting to see some daylight on the other side of this? The only model I can use is China. And I guess they, from what I read, is they opened up Wuhan totally yesterday or, or, or the day before. And so that process from complete lockdown took about three months, something like that, two and a half to three months. So if we start looking forward, we're, talk- we're probably talking midsummer here, something like that, before things start loosening up considerably, hopefully. What I saw yesterday, uh, this gentleman who I believe is the leader of the head of the CDC Center for Disease Control here in the U.S., and he talked about loosening up of some people. I guess the first step it was thought of as the people that work in essential jobs that had tested positive that now were testing negative could go back to work. And I think that's a small baby step, if you will. I mean, I see that as a sort of a break. I know there's a lot of pressure on the economics of it. I know the president is putting a lot of pressure on. And and I think that when you look at all these things and combined with the fact that some of the estimates for A, people that contract the coronavirus, and then B, the estimates of the people that will die from it have come way down recently, in the la- even in the last two days. And I think that some of that lays the groundwork anyway for a little bit of cracks for things to open up a little bit more and the restrictions to be get a little less. And there may be some concessions that have to go with that, i.e. wearing mask or whatever. But I think it's actually going to be a little quicker. Um, I would sooner, in my own opinion, I would sooner see things opening up a little bit, maybe uh, sometime in May, could be early May, could be mid-May, could be late May. I think one of the things said in the earlier segment was, is that it's not going to be like flipping a switch and everything's back to normal. It's going to be, a, particularly in food service, it's going to be a long, slow run-in. And I think that restaurants are not going to fill back up with people right away. And so uh, I think it's going to take a while. I agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see what the inside of a restaurant looks like. Because like right now in the, in the grocery stores, they're putting up the plastic guards in front of the cashier. So, I mean, could you conceivably see booths that have some slight protection around them, as long as you let the waitress come through to serve you? But you wonder what what people are going to do to change that environment a little bit. But I don't think, I agree with you, Dave. I think early on they were talking about cutting a 200-seat restaurant to 100 seats. My guess is is if you do that, maybe you even take it a step further and say, okay, you got 100 seats for the course of dinner. You can do two seatings of 50 each. And I think those kind of things are going to probably take place. Yeah, I don't know how when you do that. I, I agree, Jay. I think that's the kind of thing that will start. I just don't see how that can even go long term either because the restaurants are built around certain, you know, first of all, around profit. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a lot of money being made in the restaurant business in general, but I think they need all the seats that they had probably previously. And if you cut them in dramatic ways, I, I, it's hard for the restaurateur to be profitable. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. But I mean, how do you, if you open them right up, and go full bore with the pent-up demand for people wanting to get out and stuff like that. I mean, you could 
mean, I don't know. The doctors can tell you. Yeah, I, I also think people are scared, too. I think just consumers in general are scared about, I mean, that, that's just normal human uh, reaction. I, I don't think people want to sit like in a New York situation where you go where you're sitting almost on the other people next to you, almost with them. I don't think people want to dine like that right away. That's for sure. Well, you want to drag this thing out longer than it needs to be or and you know now that in south asia southeast asia they're concerned about the next wave as they've reduced restrictions there's you know the the infection rate in some places is actually ramping up a little bit so obviously a huge balancing act about how much you can open things back up and how fast to make sure that everything is the point i'm making is you got to take a long-term view of things does it make sense to keep things locked down longer up front or to do things gradually that might prolong it yeah i think i think you're exactly right on that but but i think the thing that's going to have the most enormous effect on this two things one if they if all of this stuff like these z-pax things and the you know how do you pronounce it? Mycin thing that the medicine that they're all discussing that oh the uh, the antimalarial drug yeah yeah I forget how you pronounce it but I think initially it looks like those things are working but until you get to a where you can get inoculated with a, with a with something that will kill it and then you don't so I think that if that moves faster than normal where you're taking stuff or you know you are less at risk of contracting a full-blown case of it. And then when they come up with a vaccine, I think then then that's when everything will start to really get back to normal. Okay, let's talk about hospitality tabletop just for a second. And we're out the other side, whenever that is. What's the landscape look like in hospitality tabletop? And when does that start ramping up immediately? Delayed? Never? Where does that go? Where does glassware go, Jay? Glassware is a high-velocity uh, product in a restaurant. What happens to glassware when the restaurant business opens back up? Yeah, I think our I think our business. I mean, there's two things, as you know. There's reorders and there's new installations or or trade outs, which is basically a new installation as well. I think those things will be much slower. But the good news on our side is glass is is more of a fragile, breakable product. We make it as good as we can, but it's a lot tougher than dinner plates. And it's certainly, I mean, you don't break knives. You either get them thrown into the trash or people steal. That's the only way that disappears. So, I think we'll be okay. But I I, I just think there's going to be I think the retail sides of the glassware business will be can be good because people are going to be eating and dining and drinking good wines in their home probably more than ever. So that'll be good. But, you know, I think I, it's going to come back slowly. I mean, there's no two ways about it. You know, uh, people will be rolling their eyes when, from my opinion, but it's like going forward, it's going to be obviously going to be tough for restaurateurs. And they have to more than ever look at all the details and the dining experience yep. all these things that that maybe they took for granted or they were busy doing other things leading up to this point and so tabletop dinnerware is going to be more important to their success and survival than than ever and again people are saying well man i've got a lot of other fish to fry and that's that's true but but they can't forget about things like uh, tabletop. No, it's the it's where the, it's where you put the end result of all your efforts as a chef or a cook or whatever it is. No, you're absolutely right. But I think a lot I think a lot of it's going to be tied to how how they roll out participate. What will they let a restaurateur do as far as occupancy? That's the thing that will have a big effect on. It. And then I think the taking the drugs that can fend it off or, or becoming immune because of whatever the reason is. You know, you fought through it and all of those things. And but but you know, I, I think. We're going to come out of it stronger in a lot of ways. I mean, one of the things that amazes me in, in our area, I guess in Pennsylvania, 
they have some of the toughest sanitary laws in the country. I mean, they, they literally can walk in a restaurant. If the health inspector doesn't like what he sees, they can, they'll clear it right out. I mean, a couple of times since we've been here, all the years we've lived here, they've, they've cleaned out a couple of typically buffet stuff, oriental stuff, whatever, not picking on any one particular type of food. But if, in general, I mean, I used to cover New York for Stolz USA and for Anchor Hawking when I worked for them. And you get into some areas behind the scenes in New York City and hotels and restaurants. Man, I'll tell you what, you really look at the sanitary conditions and it makes you pause a little bit. So I think that that's going to be a whole nother, they're going to have to take cleanliness to a whole nother level. It's just not wiping off the table anymore. No, I, th- I, I think you're exactly right. And I think people are going to pay attention to that and uh, more so than they have in the past. Not like they didn't pay attention in the past, but now it's at a, at a really high awareness level. Everybody's sensitive to things. And I, I do think that for a short time, people are going to be very nervous to go out. That said, just human beings in general, I believe, are hardwired for connection. Oh, absolutely. And they're going to want to go out. They're going to want to be around other people. They're going to want to be laughing and joking. I think people are, uh, you know, there, there's some grim times right now, but they're going to be ready. Yeah, we're social animals. I mean, and I think that the other thing is, you know, we talked about what, what were people doing with their takeout ideas. And I think Greg and I both felt that, well, they're not even doing some of the basic stuff, but you know, they're going to have to tell people what they're doing to try to keep them as safe as they can in their restaurant. All the servers are going to wear gloves. You know, here's what we do. You got to tell people not because a funny thing happened to me. I don't, I don't ever do a lot of takeout food. So when this thing first started, I decided, well, let's go get a pizza. So we went to one of the less expensive pizza places and I'm watching and the people in the back are not wearing gloves. So I went to another pizza place and where the pizza is twice as expensive. They weren't wearing gloves either. Now, the good news about that product is once it's in the oven, it kills everything if they don't touch it till they put it in a box. But shortly after, I had that experience where I was actually looking to see if people were wearing something to protect their hands and mask and all of that stuff. The pizza places that do takeout started advertising what happens like I think Papa John's did it. From the time your pizza is put in the oven and it's ready to go, it goes from the oven to the box to you. It's never touched by human hands anymore. You got to touch the box, but the, but the product itself is taken out of the oven. They started to advertise that. That must have been, become an issue. Now everybody's wearing gloves, and they're talking about what they do to, to put that product in your hands and as safe as they can get it to you. Interesting. About durable tabletop items, something we've been talking about up to this coronavirus issue is like the whole, the importance of theater, drama, celebration that uh, we've been trying to um, bring items in about how tabletop items can and help that whole whole thing. And so in, in hopefully a celebratory mood that's going to be taking place sometime down the future, restaurateurs need to be looking or should be looking towards, you know, tabletop items that can help, that can help with this whole celebration and lift spirits. And I know that, you know, again, with all the things going on, everybody is probably rolling their eyes thinking, what is this guy talking about? But it doesn't have to be huge investments. Just give some thought and, and listen to our past podcasts to tell you the truth about how different items, tabletop items can help in these areas. 
Jay, a uh, quick question on supply chain. What is the, we're out the other side. What is the supply chain uh, situation for permanent tableware look like, both from a manufacturer? Most, most companies in our business, in some form or fashion, use manufacturers' reps, commissioned reps, and then the, they and run their products through a dealer network. What do those two components look like? What is a manufacturer's rep? What happens to them, all the manufacturers' rep firms across the, the country? And then, Consequently, what happens to the dealer network? Do they remain the same as they've been, or do they change? And if they change, what do they look like? Yeah, well, I think they, they think they're definitely going to change. I mean, the manufacturer's rep thing—that's been a situation in flux for a long time because it seems like it's harder and harder and harder to find. I won't even use the word professional; just find people that are willing to do that job. And we all know rep firms that we knew that where the father closed the business because the kids didn't want to come into it. I mean, it's a hard business. And then, and I think part of the problem with the rep situation is years ago, if you were a good rep, you probably had more people throwing wines at you than you could take. And then there was exclusivity. Maybe you had a high-end dinnerware line or a high-end crystal line and then maybe a commodity line. Today, it's all changed. Now people have two, three China lines, two or three glass lines. And the whole thing is different. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. And then the part of the problem that's affected the rep groups is that this consolidation with companies, somebody by somebody who had rep, Forces we can't use too. So who gets cut? You know, it's, it's been a tough situation for reps in this country. So I'm not sure where that all goes. I think that the other side of the coin is though is, is from a supplier standpoint. How do we get our story out? How do we? I think the dealers are, already we've lost a couple of major dealers in the New York market. Some of the biggest dealers in the country have laid a lot of people off. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation of that. I think there's going to be a lot of dealers that go out of business. But then again, once you once the guys and gals that are left standing, how are they going to react to our products? They sell chemicals, they sell paper. That's the really, really. I mean, Greg, you, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but high volume stuff. I mean, that chemicals. Everybody says, "Oh, that's where the money is in paper and all that." So, I think the flatware, china, and crystal thing is going to be. It, it'll never go away. Our our thing because glass breaks. That that in a bad way. That's a positive thing, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's going to be really interesting. I, my one of my theories is that a lot of people that sell the higher end things are going to have to find ways to help get the message to the end user restaurateurs and the people that are opening up new places and have them start driving their requests to dealers to maybe bring that kind of product and to see samples and all of that. I, I just don't think anymore you're going to totally, you know, totally rely on one segment of the distribution network to get your message out. You're going to have to take an active part in helping everybody learn about your company. So do you, Jay, do you see that the um, commissioned only manufacturers rep who's been the frontline warrior for many years, many generations even of a lot of products in the hospitality tabletop industry, do you see them sort of migrating more to company people, company representing one single company in their pro- the products that that company had. Do you see the change going that way? It's already been moving in that direction for a long time. I don't think there'll ever be a, I don't think independent agents will ever not be part of the equation, but I think taking control of how you get your message delivered to the distributor or whatever channel of distribution you're using, you know, I mean, reps have 14 or 15 lines, six of which generate all the commissions. If you're a small player in the bag and you're not doing a million dollars with a rep firm within your product category, then just by the nature of the activity, you come out of the bag slower than the stuff that generates all the commissions. So in case, in, in our case, if I could wave a magic wand and put on all my own people to take the message to the restaurateurs and to our dealers, that's what I would do. 
but that's a, it's the downside of that is it's very expensive. And Greg, going back to some of the food items, which are obviously higher velocity, larger uh, volumes, probably lower commission. Do you see a similar trend in the food side of our business? The, the, or, you know, once you get outside of the uh, hospitality tabletop, is our food items similar? You know, Dave, you know, I'd like to go out and, and say that I, I have a good handle on it. I, mean, I don't want to just be throwing out, you know, I, I guess opinions. I think that's what's happening. I think it's very similar, but I just, I just don't know. And I don't know if anybody really does know right now yeah. what's going on with with food. I think we might have been talking offline together. The chain right now is so disrupted that I just don't have a handle to speak intelligently about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of balls still up in the air, I agree. And uh, the one thing's for certain, we're not, even if the switch was flipped to, today, it would be some time, I think we all agree that it'll be some period of time before things even come close to getting back to normalcy. But however, having said that, I, I heard something last night that we're going to be waiting for a vaccine for this virus, uh, and that'll be 18 months or so. And I don't see that happening. I, I really don't. I, I, I think there's lots Lots of diseases that we have uh, no vaccine for, but we're still, uh, we're, we were up in the list point anyway, we're operating normally. But I, I don't think it's going to be back to normalcy overnight, even when, quote unquote, all the, the lockdowns are lifted. I think there is going to be some sort of run-in period, and particularly for a product category like permanent tableware and, and, and glassware and flatware and stuff like that. Although glassware, as I mentioned, Jay, higher usage item, higher velocity. So that'll probably return to volumes close to uh, where they were faster than dinnerware and then certainly faster than flatware. So I want to finish up this week, Greg, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, one episode or two episodes ago about things that small things that restaurateurs could do. And you've got a great idea this week. And why don't you tell us about it? Well, you know, carrying on the, the theme of think small. I love think small, by the way. <laughs> and we were we were talking uh, in past podcasts about the little things that restaurateurs can do, like uh, instead of the little handwritten sign and on an eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper pasted in the window, put up the big sign that says that you are open and you get curb service. Put down, make it easy for people to contact you with the phone number and the email address. Put out an easel. Do corny things like put some balloons on that easel. And, and again, put the phone number down, the email address, update your website so that people know what your new hours are and that you do have curbside service. Another thing that just struck me is we have a local pizzeria, and they are doing takeout. And the other night, here in, to keep ourselves busy and entertained here in my home, bought some dough from them, dough balls. You went, walked in, and, and I asked the guy how business was going, and he says, slow, but they're keeping their head above water. And in their case, it was it's completely prepared food takeout. I was one of the rare people that bought these dough balls. So it seems to me that there's this continuum. On one hand, people are, are selling completely prepared, ready to eat products. The other can on the other side, I know that some people that are selling uh, complete dishes that you can take home and cook off or bake off. And I think that there's an area in between that works well for some uh types of restaurants, for example, pizzerias, that you can have, in effect, create a kit or at least the basis for things. You know, so 
a white, you know, so my suggestion in this case was the guy should be letting people know that they can come in and buy dough, dough balls. It's very easy. Nothing's easier than just rolling it out. And then maybe they have a, a deli container of sauce. And then you can add at home whatever you want to it, olives or mushrooms or onions or what, what have you. But so here's the basis. So that's something just to keep this guy going. And so, and I think it's a missed opportunity. So I, I think it works well for pizzerias, but it could work very well for, uh, for other types of restaurants. And so people should be thinking of these kind of, again, and I don't say it flippantly, these small ideas. Well, you make the you make the cooking experience a, an event in the house, right? And I think I think you're right on with that, Greg. And I I would add to that, and I don't recall which chain it might have been a Kroger division. They had a restaurant kit from local restaurant. Uh, one of the stores or several of the stores had a from a local restaurant had a f- meal kit that they were selling, which was just like you described it. Take it home fix the whole meal right there but it was labeled from the local restaurant whatever and i think that's an that's a great example of if it was kroger kudos to them if it was somebody else i'm i'm sorry i i i missed that but the point is is that you got a large grocery chain being nimble enough to respond to local and take advantage of a restaurant's reputation locally and put put kits on the shelf and make them available to consumers to come into their grocery stores, which are still flooded with people, and take it home and make it. And in my example, the next step is to put a big sign in the window yeah. saying that they that they have these kits and come in, hey, try something new, entertain the family, you know, why not? Well, I mean, the Washington, D.C. market, Clyde's is a restaurant chain that's known. It's a it's a pub, great pub chain from been around for a while, probably has eight or nine units. One of the things that they have on their website and they're pushing out and outbound emails and stuff is Easter Sunday is coming. You can get your whole Easter meal from them. Just call it in, order it, swing by and pick it up. I think those things are really great and they really keep that brand name of Clyde's out there in a good way. That's a nice group. You and I have been to a couple of their restaurants periodically, but one of the things maybe on the, maybe on the next segment just popped into my head. We really ought to have a, a nice discussion about outdoor dining because I think that's going to really be an important factor throughout the whole summer. Mm-hmm. You can turn your parking lot, half your parking lot into a dining room if you want to do it. Good call, Jay. All right, guys, listen, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. You guys have been great today. It's been a little bit long. We've run a little long today in segment, but I think it was good discussion. And as always, uh, we'll be back here uh, with our next episode of Every Other Thursday. Give us about 14 days and we'll be right back at you. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.